Okay, so today we're going to be looking at uh, chapter two of the book we are looking at in this series called Resilient by John Eldridge. And before we jump into chapter two, just want to do a really quick flyover uh, recap of last week. We looked at chapter one and uh, in the introduction of the book, uh, John gives this example of camels and how resilient that they are. Um, that they can last um, for, for weeks on end going through incredibly hot, um, arid conditions, carrying like hundreds of kilos worth of weight, traveling um, kilometer after kilometer after kilometer. And they've just got this ability to withstand so much external um, uh, con- uh, treacherous conditions. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Their stamina is um, awe-inspiring. And, and the thing with camels that he unpacks is that, that, that camels, although they have this extraordinary ability to, to be resilient in, in harsh conditions, um, they show no warning when it all gets too much. And all of a sudden they will just collapse without warning and fall into a heap. And then he parallels that with, with the condition of our soul, that the human soul has this um, impressive capacity to withstand incredible amounts of pressure, of, of hurt, of, um, of exhaustion and, 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 and information. Um, but then all of a sudden, we just out of nowhere, we, our soul just quits. It just says, I'm out, I'm done, I don't want this anymore. Um, and, and people just throw in the towel, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. We see people who have faithfully served God, faithfully been involved in church. All of a sudden, for some reason, uh, their soul just gives way and says, I'm out, I'm done. They start to question the Bible. They start to question faith. They leave church. They leave their faith altogether. And they walk away in, in, in a hope to try and find the thing that their soul needs through external experiences. And the reason it gets to that point is, is an issue to do with our reserves. That because of the external pressures that we face in our life, the burden that we carry uh, in our soul on a day-to-day basis, it starts to deplenish our reserves. And when our reserves become empty and we have nothing left to sustain us or keep us buoyant, we will go on a search to find something else external to try and fulfill and refresh our soul internally. And people do that in various ways. They might do it through drugs, through alcohol, through sex, through, um, through licentious living, trying to find things in the created world to satisfy uh, a craving in their soul. Um, and unfortunately, that, that does more long-term damage than good. And, and what we need to look at is, is not how do we find solace or hope or replenishment in exterior created things, but how do we find those things from Creator God? Uh, that God really is the river of life. The Bible describes God as that. And so Jesus gives us this invitation in, in John chapter 7 that uh, let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So our reserves, the very depths of our soul, our capacity to be resilient, our capacity to thrive, is, is we draw upon our reserves. And the only way that they can truly be replenished is if we drink from the wellspring of life, if we drink from the river of life, which is God. And the funny thing is here, when you look at Jesus's uh, invitation here, 
He's saying, if anyone is thirsty, right? And in our limited capacity, we go, thirsty, I, I need a drink. I, I need a glass or a bottle of water and that will uh, quench my thirst. But, but God is the God of abundance. And so when he says, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink, right? He then doesn't just offer a glass or a bottle. He offers uh, in, in John 7, 37 verse 38, uh, rivers of living water will flow through us. When we open up our heart, when we humble ourselves and come to Jesus and say, I need you. I need you, God, to enter every uh space and corner of my heart. I need your spirit in my spirit to replenish me. He doesn't just give us a proportionate amount for what we need at that moment. He promises that rivers of living waters will flow from within us. God is the God of abundance. And so last week we left uh, us with the question to consider is where are we looking for created things to replenish our soul? And then how do we look past those things to the creator God for him to replenish our soul? Um, and that's, it's really important that we do that. That step one for us on this um, pathway to resilience, that we've come out of COVID, out of this pandemic, um, beaten, battened, bruised in, in, in almost every respect of life. Um, the first way for us to rebuild our resilience is to... Um, open ourselves up and make ourselves vulnerable to God and see Him as our source of replenishment, Him as our source of refueling and refreshing so that the reserves of our life are filled from Him and not from external things in this world which cannot satisfy or sustain. So now we jump into chapter 2. Chapter 2 is called, Where Are We? What's Happening? And and because of um, the pandemic and because of uh, what we have gone through globally, uh, through COVID and all that sort of stuff, it has left us, because of the trauma of that event, um, it's left us with with mental fragmentation. Now, mental fragmentation is a a very normal uh, symptom for people who have gone through times of trauma and times of hardship. Uh, Basically, it's where our brains become a little bit glitchy. Uh, we don't think as sharply or as clearly as we once would or as we would like to. And, and here, here are some, some examples that, that you um, might possibly be able to relate to. And I know I absolutely relate to these. This is, these are classic symptoms of, of mental fragmentation. Have you ever walked into a room to get something and completely forgotten why you're there? You enter the room and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to get the... And then your brain just shuts down. You're like, get the what? And then, I don't know, if you're like me, I then walk out of that room and go back to the room I had that thought in and go, all right, I was in the kitchen when I had to get that thing. What was that thing? And I go and stand in the kitchen and I look blankly at a wall and my family think I'm crazy until the idea comes back to me. Oh, it was my glasses cleaner. That's what I needed to get from the bathroom. So then I walk back to the bathroom, get my glasses cleaner and I clean my glasses. Um, that's one example of mental fragmentation. Or another example, have you ever been you jumped in the car and you go, okay, I'm going to go to the shops. And then uh, halfway driving to the shops, you realize you are driving in the complete opposite direction to go to the shops. Uh, Your mind has gone somewhere else and you've just driven on autopilot to a complete other place. You might have driven to on the way driving to work or driving to to, to school. Your brain might think you're in school drop off mode or whatever it is. Um, And then you have to go, man, do a U-turn and go back to where you actually wanted to go. 
Or a classic for me, this happens all the time. You finish reading a chapter of a book only to realize when you finish that chapter, you have absolutely no idea what you just read. Zero idea at all. That your, your eyes were, were, were rolling over the, the, the words and the pages. That was fine. And you were following the sentence structures, but, but none of the information was actually going into your brain. That Your brain was somewhere else. These, these things, these um, walking into a room, forgetting while you were there, driving an autopilot, um, and reading stuff without actually absorbing information, these are all examples of mental fragmentation. And the problem exists right now in 2023 is that with, with our fragmented brains, that each of us in varying levels can probably identify with that, that because of the trauma of the pandemic, we now have to a certain variable degree uh, fragmented brains. Um, the problem arises now that what is happening, we are still trying to consume the enormous amounts of media in our mind and in our heart that we were prior to the pandemic, where our minds were far less mentally fragmented. Um, and, and, and that is going to be incredibly problematic. If we don't um, wake ourselves up to what it is we are exposing ourselves to and how much information and how much emotion we are allowing to flow into our minds and into our hearts without fully having recovered from the trauma-related issues with the pandemic, we find ourselves in a, a precarious position. Um, and with, with so much media, with so much news, with so much um, uh, information, misinformation, opinions, counter-opinions, it's really hard for us, with all this stuff coming in from multiple directions, it's hard for us to maintain perspective. It's hard for us to, to digest information. Um, but what we, we take encouragement, I suppose, from, from Jesus, who he warns of times like this. Like he warns that at the end of the age that, that there's going to be stressful, traumatic times. There's, there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. Uh, but Jesus says, basically, don't freak out. He says, hey, you're going to hear of these things, but don't panic. See that you aren't frightened. And that, that's in Matthew 24, verse 6. So Jesus' comforting words are, guys, let's get control of our emotions. Let's acknowledge that our emotions are real, that we are going to feel certain things because of what is happening externally in our world. But, but we need to not freak out. We need to not panic and don't be frightened. And so one way that, um, that we as humans travail this terrain of information overload um, is by gaining a story or a narrative. We choose a narrative that helps us filter and appropriate the, the chaos of life around us and bring some sort of sense and meaning to it all. Uh, and for example, here, here are a couple of ways. Um, some of us might take a, a political narrative, right? And so all this information is coming at us from the world in, in every direction, but we decide that we are going to get on the political narrative and filter things through that and so what that looks like is then, well, you know, if we can just get the right person in power, uh, then, um, then everything will be fine. That, that, that will steer the ship. That will, that will bring things back to how it should be. And, and, and we see this um, look, probably most um, clearly in America. They're very polarizing politically. Uh, and they tend to, uh, to bring a, a big political narrative to the chaos of life. Or, or maybe another narrative that you might find yourself um, adapting, adopting is, is a social narrative. Um, and so the issue becomes injustice. 
And so, so we filter everything through. This is an injustice issue. And so we're going to fight for our rights. And, and so we, we, we are looking for um, uh, a cause to fight for and a minority to back because that is the issue with this world. And so we become uh, social justice warriors to try and uh, help us make sense of what is going on in this world. Or for some of us, it might be a financial narrative. Um, and we might go, you know what, it's, 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 it's capitalism that's crippling us. And the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. And this is the problem with the world and the disparity between the rich and the poor. And we need some sort of um, uh, you know, socialism uh, regime to come in and, and even the playing field so that the rich don't get too rich and the poor don't get any poorer to balance it out. So we, we adopt a financial narrative. And there are three, probably, you know, clear examples that we see in the world of narratives that we as humans try to latch onto to make sense of the confusion and chaos in this world. But as Christians, have we ever stopped? Have you ever stopped to ask, what is God's narrative? What, what is the story that God is telling through all of this? With all this information and all this chaos in the world, all this sense of um, disruption, our, our souls being depleted, COVID, destruct, all this stuff, what is the narrative of God? What is the story that God is telling through all of this? Because here's the reality, right? Empires will rise and fall. They have all throughout history. Crisis will come. Crisis will go. Celebrities, social media will have mass influence one minute and then be totally irrelevant the next. However, when we look through history, the story of God has been, is now and always will be the story of the world. God's story has always been told throughout history. It's not here one minute and gone the next like an empire. It doesn't rise and fall with the, the influence that comes with social media or being a celebrity. It's not a crisis that happens and then uh, gets resolved. The story of God has been, is, and forever will be the story of this world. And the question that you and I need to ask is, are we tapping into that as our narrative for appropriating what is going on in this life? You see, every human heart on this planet is beating because Jesus Christ is sustaining it. The breath you are taking now as you are listening to this message, inhaling in, exhaling out, is only happening because Jesus, the Lord of this universe, is sustaining the very life that you and I have inside of us today. The sun came up today. The sun will come up again tomorrow because Jesus Christ is ruling this universe. Think about all the beautiful things that are happening right now across this planet. The caribou, right, are migrating. The dolphins are swimming. The whales are diving deep and breaching up for air. The lions are hunting their prey in the savannah. The entirety of the animal kingdom is living, breathing, feeding, reproducing and flourishing because Jesus Christ is the story. He is the story of life. 
And the thing with the story of life, the thing of Jesus' story, the thing of Jesus' narrative is that it is heading towards a climax. Jesus will return and complete his story. And we looked at that just a a month or so ago in in our our, our two-week series on the end times, that, that Jesus will return. Jesus will complete his story, his narrative. He will make sense of all of the chaos and calamity that we are facing collectively across this planet. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we going to tap into that narrative? Are we going to live our life aligned with the story of Jesus or are we simply going to align our, our, our life with a political narrative or a social narrative or a financial narrative or some other or sexual narrative, some other narrative other than the one story, the one narrative that has always been, is currently and will always be forever the story of God working through his people. And so as this story of Jesus reaches its climax, as we get closer to Jesus' return, as he said, there'll be wars, there'll be rumors of wars, and we we know that the earth is groaning now, and it's, it's a clear sign that the end is probably near. And even if it's not, like even if it's five years away, 50 years away, or a thousand years away, the question remains for all of us today is, will we be ready and engaged with the story of Jesus? Will we be living our life in such a way that we align ourselves with God's narrative in order to be prepared for the next phase of his story, his return for his people? Or are we going to allow ourselves to be distracted and disconnected from the story of Jesus and therefore not be prepared as we ought to be for his imminent return as his story reaches its peak. As the day of his return approaches, it's important for us to remember that we are called to mental resilience. Jesus tells us not to freak out. He tells us not to panic. He tells us to to be of sober mind. Not to fear or not to live in uncertainty. We are instructed to keep our cool, get our bearings, so that we can make wise decisions in such frantic, chaotic times. What we feed our mind on matters. What we feed our soul on matters. What we feed our spirit on really, really matters. See, the battle rages for the narrative in your life. There is a battle raging for what is the narrative that you are going to um, hinge your life to, that you will follow, that you will appropriate the chaos of this world with. And the strongest, most prominent voices in your life will win. The voices we allow into our life, the most prominent voices, the most prominent influential things we read or listen to or surround ourselves with, will become the narrative with which we align ourselves. And I see this time and time again. When people get on these these obscure bandwagons and they find these things that tickle their ears and they put around themselves teachers that will tell them what they want to hear, they find themselves uh, linking to narratives, whether it's sexually, whether it's politically, whether it's socially, um, and these other narratives will take them away from the centrality of Jesus' plan for the redemption and replenishment of all humanity. So here's a question for you. What are you spending most of your time on? 
What are the voices that are you predominantly listening to? Do you spend more time on social media than in scripture? Like what's your ratio? Would you spend five hours a day on social media compared to five minutes in scripture? If so, I dare, say, I dare I say this, then social media and the influences of the algorithm that is on that screen are going to become your primary narrative and they will drown out those, those five minutes of scripture that you're giving yourself that day. The loudest voices will win. So we have to take mastery over our own life, put discipline into our own uh, worlds to go, okay, if I want the primary narrative in my life to be the gospel of Jesus Christ, to align myself with his story, the story it has been, is now, and forever will be the story of humanity, then I need to look at, well, how much of the Bible am I bringing into my eyes and my ears and my soul? How much am I sitting in the presence of God, allowing his spirit to minister to me? How much am I worshiping God and putting myself in a place to be with Jesus so that I can be like Jesus? And I'm telling you right now, if, if, you, uh, if you have a, a proportion that is so out of whack, don't be surprised if you feel a sense of anxiety, a sense of uh, uncertainty, a sense of fear and trepidation about the world around you because your narrative is being dictated to by those things that are the driving forces of fear and confusion uh, and chaos in your life. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He brings peace that surpasses all understanding. And if we bring ourselves into a position where uh, we have far more influence from His voice and His Spirit, we will find ourselves on that next step of becoming resilient people that can stand confidently and peacefully with joy in, in, a, in a life that is just chaos and confusion around us. So, as we bring this to a close, chapter 2. This week's question for consideration I'd love to give to you is what narrative has the loudest voice in your life? Think about it this week when you open your phone, when you open your computer. What, is it, what are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you watching? Uh, and, and what, you know, how much of that compared to the things of God? And then once you, once you identify how much other narratives are shaping your worldview, then ask the question, how can I make the story of Jesus the loudest voice in my life? How can I align myself better through disciplining myself and my time and my resources to align my life with the story of Jesus so that when he comes back, when he finishes his story, when it reaches his climax and his return, I am prepared and I am ready. And until that point, I live with peace, I live with hope, I live with joy. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Looking forward to chapter three.